This is a Federal News Network podcast. If the Arctic region is the roof of the world, the Army is starting to think differently about what could be lurking up there, like Russia. Last month, the Army released a new strategy called Regaining Arctic Dominance, aimed at helping U.S. secure its interests in that region. Joining me with some of the details of the strategy, Army Strategic Planner Elizabeth Felling. Ms. Felling, good to have you on. Great to be here, Tom. Thank you for taking the time. And what do we need to know about the Arctic itself that has caused the Army and, I guess, other elements of the government to think differently or to take a fresh look at that region? Well, with the Arctic, the Army is taking a standpoint of viewing the world as a globe rather than a map. This is especially important with the Arctic, considering the circumpolar region covers three different combatant commands and all of the functional commands. And so we need to be thinking a little bit differently about the Arctic, especially as the environment is changing. The Arctic provides two particular challenges to the Army. One, it's an environment in which we need to operate, which we really haven't been focused on over the course of the past 10 or 15 years. It's also a domain. And in that, we need to have the abilities and the organizations correctly postured to be able to operate and compete in the region successfully. All right. And of course, we know that in some cases it's melting and therefore there are more water channels through it and other nations are actively plying those channels, correct? Yes. As we look forward to the future, the changing environment as it impacts the Arctic is changing the way that we need to look at it. We need to remove ourselves from the more traditional approaches and view what it may look like in the future and build up the capabilities so that we can operate there in the extreme cold weather, the high altitude, and the mountainous nature that it provides to us. And what is the Army observing going on there with respect to other countries? Like, I've read that Russia is very active in there. What are they doing, and what do we suppose they see as the advantage up there? So, with this new world view of looking at the world as a globe, There's a lot of activity, but the Army is particularly focused with this particular strategy on building our institutional capability in the way that we organize, man, train, and equip our forces to be able to operate and compete in the region successfully. Yeah, so you might need to, I guess, potentially be prepared to fight up there. And what does that require? I mean, it's cold, as you said, and mountainous and icy and dark a lot. Predominantly, most of the U.S. forces that operate near the Arctic region are stationed up in Alaska. And so the Army is taking a fresh approach, a new look in how we man, train, and equip and provide for those forces, especially as we look to take care of our people who are operating up there. The chief's number one priority is people. And so focusing and giving them equipment that can function appropriately and effectively in that cold and challenging environment, but also during all seasons. As we know, the summer in the Arctic is very different than the winter in the Arctic. And so things like being able to maneuver, to be able to take care of installations as the environment shifts is of significant importance. And that's why the Army wrote the strategy to take a holistic look at this region that we hadn't paid attention to over the course of the past 10 or 15 years to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to take care of our people, but also to be able to provide the appropriate training and the appropriate equipment and to support future multi-domain operations alongside our sister services and in support of the DOD strategy. We're speaking with Elizabeth Felling. She's a headquarters strategic planner for the Army. And yes, the other services, including the Coast Guard, which has the icebreakers, 
I imagine that's something that you would have to cooperate with pretty fully to make sure that, for example, the ability to maneuver in an area, if you needed an icebreaker or to cut a channel, you'd need the Coast Guard. Is that a good way to think about it? So in the development of this strategy and even after its publication, we have been in coordination with the other services to include uh, members at State Department and OSD and the Joint Staff and the Coast Guard through various conversations to ensure that our strategy is well-received and understood by the other services and by the other members of the government. And how many countries, by the way, actually impinge on the Arctic Circle? So the Arctic is a circumpolar region. Um, I'm not going to go into geography specifically. You're going to challenge some of my um, knowledge there in specific numbers this early in the morning. However, the Army does work both bilaterally with nations and through multilateral forums in the Arctic. Uh, The first that come to mind, of course, are our partners and allies in the Nordic region, talking about Norway, Sweden, and Finland actually have a significant level of knowledge and expertise about Arctic operations. Our aim is to work with our partners through these forums and through exercises to learn lessons on how we can incorporate those and how we bring it back to training, man, train, and equip to be able to operate. We look forward to doing that. And in the summary, there is also language with respect to the families of the service members in that area that would have to live there, I guess, for some period of time. What does the plan envision doing with those folks so that they have some quality of life, again, in a difficult region, austere, as you might say? That's right. That's right. Our installations primarily focused on Alaska. They do receive a significant amount of impact just due to the changing nature of the climate in the region. That goes from season to season and from year to year. And so, as the chief laid out in our people strategy, people are number one, and we're going to take care of our people. And How we do that is by providing them the facilities that have the appropriate um, capabilities to the right level to take care of the people who live there and work there, the soldiers, the civilians, families, and contractors who work in that region, but also looking at the installations itself going forward from the same impact, like how do we manage the impact of melting permafrost and climate change to ensure that our installations are resilient and able to support I guess this really gets down to a lot of small detail to think about. For example, the types of gloves and coats, the uh, disposition of weapons that you can't have freezing and this kind of thing. Does it get to that level of detail? So in this strategy, we do lay out several of the top-line initiatives of things that the Army will do. And one of those that we lay out in there is specifically focused on equipment. Are we providing the appropriate equipment to operate in that region? And then looking forward, how do we do development and testing of new systems, better gloves, better protective equipment to provide to those soldiers to take care of it? Because all of those things that you lay out, it's vastly different operating in the Arctic than it is operating in the 48 contiguous U.S. states. And so how we equip those soldiers It's not as simple as taking a unit from any of the other states or installations and placing them in Alaska because the environment is very challenging. And so we aim to use the Cold Regions Test Center to look forward on how we equip the forces of the future, but also how are we equipping them now to make sure that we've given them everything that they need to be successful to operate in that challenging environment. And I guess you have to make sure the trucks will start in the morning, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, as a girl who grew up in Minnesota, I completely understand that, but not quite to the same degree. 
it's simple things like that. You know, all of these things, as we build the leaders and the soldiers of the future to operate in that region, we want to make sure that they have the appropriate training, utilizing courses such as those offered by the Northern Warfare Training Center as the Army's proponent for cold weather training to make sure that they have the appropriate training, but also to be able to lead soldiers in the future. So building and managing that talent of how we assign forces to operate in the Arctic region, and then also recruit soldiers who want to operate in the Arctic region. And getting back to the bigger picture here, I mean, the Alaskan command and that effort of the Cold War was to possibly repel Russia from invading through Alaska. The strategic scenario is very different now when it's more a matter of protecting U.S. interests across the region, making sure that ships aren't challenged by foreign countries. I mean, it's a different landscape geopolitically, isn't it now? The landscape, as ever, changes over time periods and decades. However, Army is a Title X service. We provide capabilities to the combatant commands to be able to operate, no matter what the mission may be, around the circumpolar region of the Arctic. And so this strategy is really aimed at being able to understand what those requirements are and what they may be in the future and continue to perform our function as a Title X organization. Elizabeth Felling is a headquarters strategic planner with the Army. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series Lessons in Leadership what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So, what we're trying to do is is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is Ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history. Find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. 
Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place. So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit, different than it is in the private sector. Uh, My father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, He joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second a major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime, and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash bestmusic for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 